Well, we continue our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we have called this series Jesus Acts. And it is always bittersweet for me to come to the end of a book or a letter that we're studying together, that we're preaching through. That is our normal way we operate around here is we take books of the Bible and we move all the way through them. And I get really close to the people uh, that God used to write the books. I get really close to the stories and it's hard for me to walk away from them. And so this week's been really hard for me, almost saying goodbye to the Apostle Paul and uh, sort of, uh, you know, bittersweet this morning being able to preach the last section of the book of Acts. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 11 through the rest of the chapter. Uh, and as you turn there, uh, let me say this. We're not scared of technology around here. Uh, we understand that there's Bibles on phones and iPads. I actually have an iPad up here. Uh, that's what I preach from. Uh, some of you say, you don't carry a Bible. You don't preach from the Bible. I have more Bible on this iPad than you have in your library at home, I promise. So it's up here. Uh, and I'll put this up here if it makes you more comfortable. So, uh, but here's the thing. Last week we were in Acts chapter 27. And as I looked up and we went through the chapter... I realized a lot of you weren't following along in your Bible. Uh, and that's my fault because I'm your pastor. But I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Whatever you look at, however you study the Bible, whatever you read, bring that to church with you. If it's a real Bible, as some of you may say, or an electronic Bible, bring it, look at it, read it. One of the things we're going to do every week is we're going to pretty much go verse by verse through whatever passage we're in, and you can read that verse by verse by verse as we go through it, and it'll help you understand the Bible. It'll help you understand the sermon. Uh, and so just a word of encouragement from your shepherd today um, and as we get started. Acts chapter 28, and some of you are like, oh my word, I don't have my phone, I don't have a Bible, everybody's looking at me, it's okay. You can borrow this one if you want to walk up here and get it, that's fine. So <laughs> Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 11. Stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. The Holy Spirit says to us today, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered the island, in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he'd said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they wished to set 
me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you that what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers from morning till evening. And he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your father, Fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Oh God, we thank you for your word. It is gold. It is more precious than silver. God, it is sweeter than honey. God, it is our life. As Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. God, we stand here today and we say, feed us. We need Your Word more than we need life and breath, more than we need money, more than we need relationships, more than we need anything. We need Your Word. The words of Christ to us. May they change us today. In His name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. I personally hate cliffhangers. I hate stories that don't end. And that's why I don't really get caught up in a lot of things on Netflix that go from one episode to the next episode to the next episode, and then you're waiting for the next season. It's really hard for me to get into something that's not going to end. I even remember as a small child watching the Dukes of Hazard and how frustrated I was. Every Friday night I would go to my grandparents and we would watch the, the Dukes of Hazard together. And I remember those episodes where Roscoe and Flash, they're chasing the Duke boys and you see the sign. It says, do not enter or some construction sign and there's tractors going across the road and yet they bust through the sign and they head toward the bridge and the General Lee goes soaring in the air and it stops. And you hear Waylon Jennings, come on, 
Well, I bet those boys wish they had a parachute or something like that. And it just stopped. And you're left. What is going to happen next? And that happens in just about every Dukes of Hazard episode. The weeks that it went from one week to the next, and I had to wait all week to know what was going to happen next week, were the most frustrating. I just literally hate for things not to end. I'm a finisher, even when it comes to task. I can't have one notification on my mail, on my phone. I have to look at everything and check it off. And every list has to be done in every day. And my wife said, you better not talk about how different we are in that regard this morning. So I'm not going to. But Danae and I are really different in that regard. And I'm being sanctified by God having her as my wife and working with Clay Tabor also. But I want things done. I used to take Fridays off. That was my day off. Some of you thought, what about Saturday and Sunday? I thought those were your days off. You don't do anything but preach on Sunday. Uh, But Friday was my day off. But I would get to the end of every week and I wouldn't take a day off. Because there were all these things that were left undone that I had to finish. Sermon preparation and all these things. So I take Monday off. And now Monday is agonizing to me. The kids will tell you I'm walking around the house ready to go, ready to get things done, ready to finish the week on Monday. But but I want things done, completed, the story's over, it's set aside. That's why I have such a problem with the book of Acts. Because we get to the end of the book of Acts and we see it's almost a cliffhanger. There's still things left to be done. We have followed the story of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Beginning in Jerusalem, the Spirit of God comes down and empowers the followers of Christ to spread the gospel in Jerusalem and take it all the way to the ends of the earth. And that's what the Spirit of God has done throughout the book of Acts. And the last half of the book is centered on this amazing missionary, the Apostle Paul. He established the church in four major provinces in the Roman Empire. In Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, Asia. This missionary has has so impacted an area that covered 25 million people that he would write about that area as he moved on to Rome. There's no more work for me to be done here. This amazing missionary, the Apostle Paul, who impacted 50 different major cities, preaching and planting the gospel. He wrote during that time half of the New Testament, 13 letters of the New Testament that we have. This amazing story of Paul. And we get to the end of Acts and we say, how is Paul's story going to end? How's it going to end? What's going to happen to him? And we read, it's a cliffhanger. It doesn't end. The Spirit of God doesn't tell us how Paul's story ends. And first of all, we see he doesn't tell us because this is the Spirit's story. Notice verse 11, as we just read. Paul's missionary team and the soldiers and the captains and the owner of this ship that we read last week were shipwrecked on this island called Malta. 
And they spend the winter there with these islanders, these pagan islanders. And Paul is healing and he's preaching the gospel. And once winter is over, they begin to head toward Italy. Paul begins to make his trek toward Rome and he does so on another ship. Notice the text says that, that this ship wintered, that, that wintered there on the island. And it was a ship from Alexandria. This is another ship full of Egyptian grain, which was central to the Roman commerce. But notice the end. On this ship, as a hood ornament, notice, you have twin gods as a figurehead. Now these were two gods that were supposed to protect the sea. And Luke just sort of throws that in there with a little bit of sarcasm. If you read Acts chapter 27 and you read of the wind and the waves and you read how helpless these 270 folks were on this ship, Luke is saying, now we're headed to Italy, but we're protected. We have the gods protecting us. When all along he's been referring to this promise that God has made that Paul will preach the gospel in Rome. And notice verse 12, they put in in Syracuse. They stay there for three days. But notice as, as it continues, from there we made a circuit and arrived at Rigium. And after one day a south wind sprang up. And on the second day we came to Petolia. I just make that up when I get to them. I try to say it the best I can. Say it really fast so you don't know if I pronounced it correctly or not. But from this one place to the other place was probably about 200 miles. And this wind that picked up on this second day was a great wind. And yet it was a safer wind than what they experienced before. And it takes them some 200 miles. Now, as we've read in Acts chapter 27 and now in Acts chapters 28, we read over and over this description of wind. There's a gentle wind. There's a wind that disrupts things. There's wind in their face as they're trying to travel. There's a tempestuous wind. There's hurricane-like wind. What is Luke doing at the end of Acts? He's reminding us of Acts chapter 2. When the disciples were huddled in an upper room, and what came in? A rushing wind. The Spirit of God rushes in this room and there are tongues of fire and they are empowered to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so as we read over and over this emphasis of wind, emphasis of wind, what Luke is telling us is the Spirit of God is finishing the work. The story, the Spirit of God, this wind in the cells of the church that started in Acts chapter 2 is being completed here in Acts chapter 28. And we're reminded here, it is the Spirit of God that takes us where He wants. We are dependent upon the Spirit of God to go where Jesus pleases. But notice we also say, see this is the, the church's story, verse 14. As they arrive, they begin to find brothers... Here And they stay there with these brothers as they begin to make their way up this major roadway. And notice when they come to Rome, notice verse 15, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Now what Luke is explaining here is as they make their way to Italy, as they make their way to Rome, and they begin to, the, to unboard the ship, and they begin to walk up toward Rome, Christians everywhere are hearing of the Apostle Paul. They're hearing Paul's in town. Paul's coming through town today. 
And they begin to come from all over these places to see this prisoner, to see this missionary, Paul. And notice on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took good courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Here, Paul's going to be on house arrest. But the picture is, as Paul is on house arrest, as Paul is still in chains, can you imagine walking up this road with soldiers, with, with prisoners, and Paul is walking to Rome, and yet he's sort of a celebrity among the church. They're coming out to hear him, and yet he's still in chains. And what the Spirit of God is showing us here with this imagery is despite Paul's chains and despite the fact that Paul, get this, has never been to Rome so far with the gospel, the gospel is already in Rome. And we've been reading thinking, oh, I thought Paul was going to take the gospel to Rome. No, there's Christians already in Rome. And what God is telling us is this ain't about Paul. Jesus is already working in Rome despite Paul never being there. There's already church folks there. And one of the most glorious things that you can realize as a Christian and as a church member of Ashland Church is this. Right now, around the world, Jesus is doing billions and billions and billions and billions of things by His Spirit and the Gospel that you ain't ever a part of. This morning... There are going to be churches that you may not even join if you have the opportunity who are going to reach folks for Jesus. It has nothing to do with us because it ain't about us. It's about Jesus. And so as the end of Paul's story moves among us, as we, as we come on the end of the story, what Jesus wants to be clear about is this has never been about Paul. And so it's not about us. We are a speck on the speck of what God is doing around the world. And yet we are amazed and privileged that God would let us be a part of it. As we look around the world, as we, as we think about all that God is doing right now in this moment, we praise God that He lets us be a part of it. Notice verse 17. After three days here on house arrest, Paul calls together the local Jewish leaders and he gathers them together and he says, Brothers... Before you start realizing who I am, I need to tell you who I am. Because if you don't know who I am, some things have happened up until this point that has brought me to this point. You want to know why I'm in jail? You want to know why I'm imprisoned? You want to know who I am? And he says, even though I had done nothing against our people, the customs of our fathers, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of Rome. The Jewish leaders in Rome accused Paul of taking Gentiles into the temple, although it wasn't true. They accused Paul of rebel rousing, stirring up conflict and division, even though that wasn't true. They accused Paul of blasphemy, even though in light of the scriptures, in light of the law, that wasn't true either. And so Paul says, before you bring me to trial here, I want you to know none of it was true. I was found not guilty. And they could have let me go, but the Jews in Jerusalem would not shut up. And so I had to appeal to Caesar, and that's why I'm here today. I need to let you know who I am. I've done nothing wrong. Basically, all these charges that were brought against me, I was in prison most of the time. I couldn't have done half of this. 
And yet I had to appeal to Caesar. There wasn't nothing left for me to do. There was nothing left for me to do. Tennessee comes out every now and then. Verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul says, here's why I'm here. None of those accusations were true. I'm here because of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is the king that we always wanted. Jesus of Nazareth brought the kingdom that we always needed. We can have forgiveness of sins in Jesus. We'll be raised from the dead in Jesus. We'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus forever. As a Jew, this is what you've always looked forward to, and it's here in Jesus. And that's why I'm in chains. The Jews in Jerusalem, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear Jesus of Nazareth was their king. And so they arrested me. They sent me to trial. I spent two years in prison there in Caesarea. And now I'm here as a prisoner. Verse 21. Now you think about what their response is going to be. They said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers here have reported anything or spoken any evil about you. But we do want to hear what you have to say, Paul. We would like to hear more because this sect, this Christianity thing, this way thing, we're hearing about it everywhere. And, and so they probably interrupted Paul and they said, hold on, Paul, is, is that your name, Paul? Because we don't know who you are. You, you're, you're on this sort of diatribe about all of these things that happen. You're defending yourself against all these accusations. You're not on our local synagogue Facebook page. We've never heard of you. There are no wanted posters around here. Nobody's going to be brought to trial to testify against you. We don't even know who you are. But we have heard of the way. We have heard of Christianity. Now think about this, this massive change in Paul's identity. Earlier in the book of Acts, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. If you went to a Judaizer and you said, what are you about? They would say, well, you know Paul, right? Paul was the logo for Pharisees. It was his face when you thought about Pharisees. And he couldn't go once he started preaching the gospel from one city to the next without being noticed. Remember earlier in Acts, he is having to be lowered down over walls of cities at night so he can escape. Everybody knew who he was. The Pharisees, the Jews, they knew who he was. He couldn't escape. At one point, we read in the book of Acts, when, when the gospel is moving into Ephesus, the demons... You have these sorcerers come in to, to, to do some magic and the demons look at them and say, we've heard of Jesus and we've heard of Paul, but who are you? Even the demons knew who Paul was. And yet now he's in Rome and the Jews are, who are you? Oh, you're a big deal among the Christians? Why don't you speak to us about Christianity? We would like to hear more. And, and as I read that, it's why it's a good thing for us to be around people who don't think we're a big deal. That's sanctifying. It's good for me to be at ballparks and people don't know I'm Pastor Jeremy and people aren't looking to me for advice. I'm just another idiot watching a baseball game, yelling and screaming at my kid, doing the things everybody else does. But, but, but it's good for us to be in those environments where you're not the expert, where you're not the professional. 
And folks go, now, now who are you? Who are you? Where are you from? And that's exactly what's going on to Paul. But, but, but Paul is, we would say now, the greatest Christian missionary we've ever heard of. It, the, the whole book is written around him. And yet Luke wants to remind us it ain't about him. It's not about Paul when he gets to Rome. And it's a reminder for us only the name of Jesus matters. You see, we've got to live our lives remembering, always mindful that our stamp in the world, it's just like sand at the beach. We put our footprint in, the waves come, the winds come, and it goes away. Our stamp in the world looks more like sand than concrete. More like sand than a Hollywood star. Because here's what's going to happen, whether we like it or not. You're going to have a funeral one day, and there are going to be folks standing around talking about how great you were. They're going to be talking about all the amazing things you did. And the moment that casket hits the bottom of that vault, they're going to start forgetting you. Like it or not, we don't like to think that way. You say, oh, my kids, my family. Guess what? They're going to die in the next 50 years. And your memory and your name is just going to fade away like sand on the beach. Footprint on the beach. It's going to go away. So what name are you living for? Are you longing to be known now? Are you longing for folks to know who you are now? That is vanity. That is a waste of time. Jesus' name is concreted and imprinted on the foundation of the cosmos. Everything revolves and rotates and is to and from and through His name. So you're only going to have a lasting name when your name is about the name of Jesus. Are you okay? Are you okay to just preach Jesus, die, and be forgotten? Are you okay with that? It's counter everything in our hearts and our lives. Just to preach the gospel, every chance I get, live for Jesus the best way I can, die and be forgotten, because that's the only way to really be remembered. It's to live for Jesus, to preach His name, to preach His gospel. Are you okay with folks showing up at places and going, I don't know who you are, but I know who Jesus is. Going on mission trips to Japan, New Orleans, Peru, where folks go, now what's your name? And you're thinking, you're only here because of me. I've been giving to this church plant. I've been sending you Bibles. Are you okay to be a part of ministries where people don't even know your name? Giving, spending, serving in the background where it's not about you. Because that's the only way to truly be known for eternity. It's to not be known now. And Paul has this amazing legacy and yet folks are going, who in the world are you? And we realize at the end of the day it's because this is about Jesus' story, not Paul's story. Verse 23. Eventually these leaders appoint a day and notice, they come to his lodging in great numbers. So, so they're walking around saying, hey, we got a Bible study this week. Where's it at? Oh, it's at the house prison. You know, Paul, that guy on house arrest, you've seen him walk around with the first century ankle bracelet, made of metal, chains. You know who he is. The guy, he thinks he's a big deal, but we've never heard of him. We're having Bible study at his house. 
And, and notice, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying the kingdom of God. What does Paul do anytime he can get anybody around him? And one of the things that I love about the Apostle Paul is he just loves to preach. He doesn't care how sick he is. He doesn't care how hurt he is. He doesn't care if he's in prison. He doesn't care if he's on an exotic island. He doesn't care where he is. He loves to preach. And he's expounding and he's teaching and he's testifying always the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this, that in flesh and blood, Jesus came as the rule and reign of God. That's why Jesus could walk around doing amazing things and He could say, the kingdom is at hand. Repent. Turn. The kingdom is at hand. Turn to Me. The kingdom is at hand in Me. And in the kingdom... You can have your sins forgiven because I died on the cross for your sins. And in the kingdom, you can be raised from the dead even though you will die. You will be resurrected in the kingdom. The power of God has come in my flesh and blood. And here Paul is preaching the kingdom. And he's teaching that everything in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament was always about Jesus. The Old Testament doesn't even make sense apart from Jesus. The stories of the Old Testament, Paul says to his Jewish friends, are the story of Jesus. The stories you've memorized. The stories you've read. The stories that, that you heard growing up that you had, you had wrapped around your forehead. That you memorized. That your parents taught you walking and setting at all times. Those stories were always about Jesus. And we see here, even though Paul is in chains, he's on house arrest, notice Jesus is still getting the job done. See, we would think, how am I going to preach the gospel in Rome if I'm on house arrest? And first of all, Paul says, oh, if I'm on house arrest, that means I have a guard with me at all times. So I'm going to preach the gospel to him at all times. He writes about it in Philippians. And then, even though he's in prison, notice the text says, they were coming to Him in great numbers. Mega numbers. God is bringing all of these folks to His imprisonment so He can preach the gospel to them. Again, this ain't about Paul. Paul is in chains, but here we see the gospel is not chained. And, and, and even in this imprisonment, Paul would write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. He would write those books of the New Testament. And God is saying to us, even though Paul is chained, the Word of God isn't chained. And we're reminded here, God, Jesus will get this done. He's brought Paul to Rome under the custody of the Roman government on a cargo ship. No plane tickets, no travel agent. How are you going to get the gospel there? I'm going to be a prisoner on a cargo ship. And he's there preaching the gospel in Rome. Have you ever thought, why did God not wait till we had Facebook Live for the resurrection? Somebody could have filmed the resurrection. God, you, you missed Facebook. If Jesus was here, think about all of the great social media Jesus could use to get the word out, the kingdom is at hand. Twitter, Instagram. We would have proof the resurrection's true. Why, did he, why, why didn't he use those things? Why, why? Because he's always going to get the credit. And it doesn't matter when or where, Jesus will get the job done. And as we look at the New Testament, most of the letters written are from prisoners. 
Folks in chains, folks being persecuted, sufferers, sojourners, foreigners. They're under persecution as they write the New Testament. And that's why we never give up hope. Whatever obstacles we face as a church, whatever mistakes we make, whatever context we're in where it seems less than ideal and we go, how are we going to get the gospel out? How would God use this? How would God correct that mistake? How would God, how would God get the gospel out through these people in this place? How is that going to happen? Jesus. Jesus. The gospel moves in and out of prison. The gospel is never changed. You know, some of the best sermons that I've heard are from folks dying of cancer on their deathbed. Some of the best sermons I've heard. Some of the most impactful moments of my life are watching church members who know they're not going to make it 24 hours and tell me they love Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. The gospel doesn't stop in the face of cancer. The, do- the gospel can't be stopped. Jesus is doing it. And Jesus will finish the job. Even with Paul in prison here. And notice, it's a story about Jesus and it's a story about Jesus' grace even to the nations. Notice verse 24. And some were convinced by what He said, but others disbelieved. Now, we want that to say, everyone believed... Massive revival in Rome. Change the course of history. The Christians win. And what is it? It's what happens every time the gospel is preached. Some believe and some reject. It's what Jesus taught us in the parable of the sower. He says, you go out and you just throw the gospel. You preach the gospel. It's going to fall on hard hearts, soft hearts. Some people are going to look like they accept it for a time. And then the cares of this world are going to pull them away. You're going to have Satan. You're going to have thorns. You're going to have thistles. And and you're going to have all of this going on. You just preach the gospel. And some will believe and some will stay and some will fall away. You just preach the gospel. And notice verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And he says this, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people. You will indeed hear, but you will never understand. And he continues to explain the ministry of Isaiah. Isaiah who saw Jesus lifted high in the, key, in, in the temple. And Jesus commissioned Isaiah to go to Israel and to preach the kingdom. And yet he says, they're not going to believe you. Imagine at your commissioning service as a missionary headed to an unreached people group. Somebody says, I got a word for you, missionary. You're going to go to these people and nobody's going to believe. You're not going to plant any churches over there. They're going to hate you and they may kill you. That's what Jesus said to Isaiah. And now Paul says, that's the same thing going on right here, right now. I am preaching the gospel to you Jews and some of you Jews are rejecting it and you're fulfilling the word of God as you reject it. Do you see how dangerous that is? Jesus says the gospel will go forward and some will reject it. And some folks in rejecting the word are actually fulfilling the word in their rejection. And that's the ministry he's called us to. And Paul says, your hearts are dull. You can't see with your eyes the glory of the kingdom. 
and yet God has called me to preach it anyway. Verse 28, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. I'm going to tell you something scandalous. To the Jews, he says, it was never about you. It's always been about God. And God is taking the gospel to the nations. And he's used you and your Messiah to get the gospel to the nations, even though you reject it. Do you realize so often the ministry of the word does this? It hardens the religious and saves the rebellious. Do you realize that? That's why it is dangerous to be so self-righteous that you think you got it together. You don't need another sermon. You don't need another Bible study. You got it together. After all, I'm better than those liberals. I'm better than those homosexuals. I'm better than the world that's going to hell in a handbasket. I've got it together. And you know what Isaiah says to you? You know what Paul says to you? You're fulfilling the Word of God because the Word of God is bouncing right off of your head and it's going to those pagans that you hate. That's why it's so dangerous to be self-righteous setting before the Word of God. Just tell me what I want to hear. Just tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I've got it together. No. The scandal of the gospel is it goes to the most rebellious and most pagan. And everyone who would say, that's me, I'm ungodly. I'm even ungodly in my self-righteousness. I'm so ungodly, I would stand before Jesus and say, I got it together. No. Paul says this is about grace. And I'm on a mission of grace to get the gospel to the Gentiles. And notice what he does in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. This refers more to his freedom than paying any kind of financial burden, even though we know the churches took care of him. He's free, basically, to do what he wants to. And he welcomed all who would come to him. And notice what he does. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. The authority has come. And he's teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The gospel can't be stopped. Literally, nobody is forbidding him. The good news, anyone who believes in Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, who has come in flesh and blood, anyone who would trust in him, put their faith in him, it's not about ethnicity, it's not about tradition, it's not about the law, it is about believing in Jesus. He just preaches and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches. And what happens next? That's the end, by the way, last verse. What happens next? It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. Because we, we read this and we go, hold on, I thought he was going to Caesar. I thought he was going to stand before Caesar. How'd that turn out? How did it turn out before Caesar? I've got to know. Was he beheaded? Tradition tells us he was beheaded. Tradition tells us he was released for two years and guess what? He wouldn't shut up, so he got arrested again. And then he got beheaded. But did he make it to Spain? Did he preach the gospel where it was? We don't know. Because it's not the Spirit's intention to tell us what happened to Paul. This is about Jesus. This is about the Spirit. This is about the church. If this is just about Paul, it ends very badly. This is a very bad ending to any story you're writing. What happened to Paul? We don't know. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. It's about the witness. It, actually, this last verse 
answers the question the disciples asked Jesus in the very beginning. Remember in the very beginning of Acts, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom? And yet the whole book has shown how Jesus is restoring the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And everywhere the gospel is preached, there is the kingdom. That's how I'm restoring the kingdom, without hindrance to the end of the earth. This is about Jesus. And here's the point. Your story will end, but Jesus' story will just keep right on going. It will keep right on going. Do you realize a billion years from now, we're still going to be talking about Jesus' story, not yours? The, the only thing we're going to be talking about our story is if it is plugged into Jesus' story and it's going to be how Jesus used you to tell his story. And isn't that amazing that he would use you? His story just keeps marching on. Paul, we know about Paul because he was wrapped up into Jesus' story. You realize this, those who make the most impact in the world, think about this, they never really see the greatness of their impact before they die. They rarely do, if ever. Those who make the most impact on the world hardly ever get to sit back and enjoy it and say, look what I've done. Think about the Apostle Paul. His whole life, he's imprisoned, he's being beaten, he's shipwrecked, and I'm sure he's like, yes, I'm changing the world. Oh, he was, we even read about a thorn in the flesh, which I believe was just severe depression. This man who was used the most of God was probably the most depressed. The one who wrote the most about joy in Jesus was frustrated. He probably never thought, look at all the greatness I am doing. I am awesome. And so are you willing, are you okay with the greatest impact of your life to be after you're dead and gone? Do you live that way? Because folks who make great impact for Jesus, here's the way they live. They don't care about the impact they're making because they don't want credit for it. They just love Jesus and they're serving others and they're sacrificing and they don't want credit for it. They're just too busy living, preaching and serving Jesus. And when they're dead and gone, we stand around and go, wow, I didn't know all the things they were involved with. I didn't know all the people they shared Jesus with. I didn't know all the hours they put in at church. I didn't know all the money they gave to missions. Folks show up at their funeral and you're like, who are you? Oh, they shared the gospel with me. And, and I'm here because they invested in my life. They prayed with me every day at work. And your family said, wow, are you, are you okay with that? Or do you want it to be about you right now? You see, the truth is, this isn't a cliffhanger. Because let's say Paul was beheaded. The story continued the second his head fell off the guillotine. The story just kept going. It wasn't a cliffhanger. Because the story didn't stop in his death. And it won't stop in your death. The story would just keep going. The, the, the next scene of the story, a hundred years later, people are still preaching the gospel. It's one of the things we've said throughout the book of Acts. Whenever you think you're a big deal, stop, look in the mirror and say this, 100 years from now, all new people. All new people. Look around this room. I don't know if anybody will be here 100 years from now. Some of you may be being visited in the nursing home. 
But 100 years from now, in this room, it's going to be all new people. Hopefully it won't be this room. Hopefully it'll be a better room somewhere else. It's going to be all new people. Live your life that way. Do you realize the picture right here? It's one of the first pictures ever taken of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church behind the logo, the cool graphics, clay designs. The, the char 16 charter members, guess what? Just a little over 100 years ago, started Ashland Avenue Baptist Church. Look around the room. All new people. All new people. All new people. All new people. Clarence Walker, first pastor of Ashland Avenue, he always talked about investing in the future. He always talked about who was coming after him. And he always called the church to give and preach and go in light of the fact a hundred years from now there's all, going to be all new people. He talked about that all of the time. And one of my favorite quotes from him, he says, I may not see it all, brethren, <clears throat> but the old man's dream that I told you about, there will be buildings and they won't be complete because after I'm gone, they'll be added to and added to and all like that. But here's the deal. Those people will be true to the word of God. That was his vision for Ashland. And Jeremiah Morrison, his grandmother who sat under his preaching a few years ago, she came in these doors and she looked around at this building and said, this is what Brother Walker is talking about. And I was like, I don't know if he was talking about this. But she looked around and she said, the old man's dream. He talked about it all the time. And here it is. Do you get that? impact after he's dead and gone. A hundred years from now, all new people. You see, Acts has taken us to cities and villages and towns and back roads, down by the river, exotic islands, synagogues, pagan temples, the temple, homes, courtrooms, prison cells. The, 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 the gospel has reached soldiers, islanders, occult leaders, businesswomen, wealthy landowners, religious terrorists, educated philosophers, sorcerers, tribal leaders, families, priests, kings and governors. That's where we've been in Acts. And you know what the next scene is? This afternoon, gathered in living rooms all around Richmond, BFGs. You know what the next scene in the story is? Your classroom. You know what the next scene in the story is? The ravine, the quad, tailgating, living room, dinner table, neighborhood, bedsides, retirement centers, factory floors, teacher's lounge, cubicles, apartment complexes in New Orleans, seminaries in Ica, Buddhist temples in China, worship service in a warehouse. That's how the story just keeps marching on. You see, here's the deal. Close the comic book, story's over. Walk out of the theater, movie's over. Close your Bible, story keeps going. So the story keeps going. Let's pray.